Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome one more time. My name is Derek, uh, preaching pastor here at Encounter, and welcome, welcome, welcome. I just want to have a highlight that uh, inviting your one, uh, I've been struck uh, throughout this season in preparation for Easter Sunday and how exciting that is. Um, our one, your one person that God might lay on your heart to uh, invite them into the Jesus story, invite them to take their next courageous step of faith. It might be somebody who has gone to church for a long, long time and just in this season has gotten out of rhythm. So you probably know somebody, a name comes to mind. Just make sure that they know that they are loved and welcome to join us at one of our locations or online. Um, welcome again. We're in a series right now called Things God Didn't Say. And the idea behind this series is to, to simply just expose some of those things that God didn't say to better uncover and discover the truths that God did have for us, which are far better. Last week, we took a look at this kind of cultural lie, things God didn't say, like, I just want you to be happy. God didn't say, I just want you to be happy. In fact, what God did say and what God did offer is so much better than that. He didn't say, I just want you to be happy. What he held in front of us, what he offers us, is this depth of eternal joy. Joy is found at the other end, not just this shallow kind of temporary fleeting happiness. And throughout this series, we're going to take a look at a bunch more of them. Things God didn't say, like whoever does the will of my Father in heaven will always get a parking spot right in front of the building. God didn't say that. God didn't say if anybody will lose their life for my sake, their USB stick will always go in on the first try. He didn't promise that. I don't know why it's like 50-50 chance it's supposed to be, but it never is. It never, I don't understand how. Also, why don't they make them round? Anyway, God didn't say a lot of the things that like well-meaning Christians offer each other in times, of, in times of struggle, in times of setback and despair. We come alongside and, and we say these things as if it's God's gospel truth. And so often it's just, it's not. And by believing something that God didn't say, it can actually lead us into a place where we give up on faith before we even found out what it was in the first place. So things God didn't say, like whenever God closes a door, he opens a window. God didn't say God didn't say God helps those who help themselves. And today, today we take a look at this saying that God didn't ever say that I'll never give you more than you can handle. It's not found in the Bible. God didn't, God didn't promise at its core what today is about. God didn't promise that your life would be easy. But sometimes we assume that like following Jesus is, is, a, is a better life, is a full life. Yeah, it's a full life, it's a better life, it's life, Jesus said, to the fullest. It doesn't necessarily make for an easy life. In fact, what God did promise at the end of, the, end of that is oftentimes that life is the opposite of easy. In fact, following Jesus, though the better way, though the full way, it can be remarkably difficult in the meantime. And so don't give up on it. That's my encouragement to you. When it gets hard, when it gets difficult, don't give up on it. Uh, kind of a funny story. We've got, uh, we've got some like contractors who come in and work on the building, and I know you're looking around and going, really? This building needs some work? I know. It's, it's shocking. Fulton Heights, you guys are blessed. Uh, Kentwood, welcome. Welcome. We've got uh, kind of a face for radio and a building that lends itself well to darkness. Um, so... We have these contractors come in, and I don't know like what it is about the physical space of uh, at least this location, but like whenever a plumber comes in or electrician or something like that, it's like they, they go in, I don't know if it's like a church or all pastors have this, when they're like, oh, pastor, you know, like what, what's the need, you know, what do you have to work on? And it's like, I got to go into like confessional mode first. Like these contractors are like, hey, listen, before I work on the plumbing, I, just, I haven't been to church in a while, 
And uh, I don't know where I am kind of with God, and we kind of do this thing. So there's this one guy, there's a long project, and I got to know our, uh, our electrician really, really well. He's a great guy. But, like, he would come in, and before he would start working on the thing, he's like, listen, I just don't know about God and some of the questions that I have. And I don't know if it's, like, the electrical infrastructure of the church is, like, so questionable. It's like, before I open up with this panel, i got to, like, get right with Jesus, you know? But he does, and he's letting me know, and he goes, you know, I, I want to let you know, like, I tried this thing. I tried the Jesus thing. I, you know, I went to church. I was with a, with a girlfriend of mine at the time, and, like, she was into the thing, and I was, like, curious, and I was, like, trying to be into the thing. So, you know, I, I went to church. I read the Bible, you know, occasionally. I, I prayed sometimes. You know, I was, I was figuring it out. You know, anyway, I was figuring it out, and I was thinking, like, like this would help somehow, you know, relationally, financially. I don't know. It's going to be good. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help. And then you know what happened? The girlfriend broke up with me, my job reassigned me, and my truck broke down in like the same week. And it sounds almost like a bad country song, right? Like the girl laughed, the truck broke, my dog died, like <laughs> and I spilled my beer. Like I don't know what the... And he goes, I tried this. And this is the saying that stuck with me. I tried it. I gave it a shot. And it just didn't work for me. And a lot of us find ourselves in that season. Like when stuff kind of starts to get difficult... And it's like, you know, I gave faith a shot, and it got her, and it just, maybe it's good for you, you know, and maybe this Jesus thing is like helpful to you, and, and he does good by you, but I tried it, and it's just not good for me. So, sometimes, like, as students, right, we got to, I, I went to youth group, like, every, every Sunday night, you know, I was there, I even raised my hand and, like, offered an answer, you know, and offered an insight every once in a while, like, like I did that, and so I figured, when I asked the girl out, she's probably going to say yes, right, because, like, I did the right thing, and I showed up. And she said, no. So I quit going because it's like, listen, it might be good for her or them or whatever, but it's not, it just doesn't work for me. Or maybe I picked up along the way that if you want to get a little, you got to give a little. And so you start serving and you start giving, you start acting, start volunteering, get involved in an organization, a nonprofit, maybe even a church. And I still have the financial hardships. I still have the questions. I still have the insecurities. And so it's like, I don't know what it is. I, I did the right thing and I just... It might be good for you. It just doesn't work for me. Or the prayer, man, praying. You know, one guy told me one time, he goes, um, I wanted a new job. I needed a new job. It's so stressful. The current place that I was at, I had to get out. So I prayed, man, I'm not a praying person, but like I prayed. I prayed for two weeks every day. I prayed, God, give me a new job. Give me some kind of direction, opportunity, something. And you know what God did? Nothing. God did nothing. Gave me no answers. And so then I'm like, okay, maybe, you know, I heard this thing about maybe it's not, a, maybe it's not about changing God's mind, or maybe it's about changing my, so, uh, changing my mind. So God, help me out here, you know. Help me see the value in my work. Help me enjoy this. Help, help the stress go away. And two more weeks I prayed, like, help the stress go away. Help me to love my current job if you're not going to give me a new one. And you know what he does? Nothing. You know, it might work for you. It just doesn't work for me. We go through these seasons of doubts. God, show up. Make yourself real. Come alongside me. And when he doesn't, well, God doesn't care about me, so why should I care about him? And before you give up, I want you to know what's on the other end of this. Before we give up, we miss out on the redemptive story that God is telling. Before you give up, I want to let you know that God didn't promise not to give you more than you could handle. That God didn't promise that life would be easy or that it works that way. What he did promise and what he has for you is something so much better 
than all of that. Let's go to, uh, let's go to the place where, where we find out what Jesus did say in John chapter 16. We go to John 16, and it's an interesting uh, context, a uh, time. Uh, we're phone-friendly, so if you want to follow along that way, or the words are going to be on the screen in a minute here. Uh, John 16 takes place on what's called uh, Maundy Thursday, which is... Uh, which is the, the day of the year coming up, actually, this Thursday, where the church and kind of Christians everywhere uh, recognize the time when Jesus gathered in this upstairs apartment with some close friends, his followers, the disciples, and they're all together, and there's this kind of intimate moment between them. And, and he knows, you get the distinct impression, Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows he's going to suffer. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He's hanging out with them in that upper room, and he's like letting them know what he already knows in these last moments before his death. In John 16, 33, we read these words. Red letter, words of Jesus, they go, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. And he goes, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There's an exclamation point there, take heart. Uh, this story was originally written in Greek. They didn't use exclamation points. They didn't use punctuation at all. So that was kind of uh, contextually added later. So we don't know exactly how Jesus said it. I just imagine the context of what he says and, and kind of what's, like, what's around that area. And we, and we see that, that this is a heartbreaking moment for Jesus. He knows the betrayal. He knows what's coming up next. He knows the pain that's just about to happen. He knows about his arrest. I just imagine when Jesus says, take heart, he does it almost with a tear in his eye. Emphatically, but mournfully, take heart. In this world, you will have trouble. You may have peace, you will have trouble. Two things to remember about this story, about your life. Maybe even your week ahead. First thing is Jesus. He offers peace, but he promises pain. He goes, you may have peace. Like, we're going to get to that. We're going to talk about the peace of Christ ruling. Peace is offered. Pain is promised. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome. And the word overcome is an interesting one. And the Greek word that John wrote in here with his own hand, it was the word nikeo. It's uh, actually, let's do this. It's actually where we get our word Nike. And so I made sure to wear my finest Nikes. I've only got one pair, so I wish they were nicer for you. I <laughs> touched them up with a magic eraser a little bit earlier. But... Uh, didn't really work over. Um, fun story about Nike. Some of you know this, like the, the book Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. Um, he didn't like, the founder of Nike didn't like the, the name Nike. Uh, he wanted to name it like Dimension 6, and somebody else is like, we should name Peregrine or Bengal or something else like that. Anyway, sneakerheads are going to like comment on this later, and that's cool. But uh, he didn't like Nike. Uh, the group and his co-founders together, Nike was the name that they, like, they, they disliked the least. And so he goes, maybe, maybe it'll grow on me. Uh, Nike comes from the Greek word nikeo. It means victory. It means overcome. John, when he writes this story, the only time that he uses the word overcome, nikeo, in his gospel, in his Jesus story, is this one time. Take heart, I have Nike'd. 
I have had victory. I have overcome. That's the only time. However, John was the only disciple who lived a remarkably long life because he was put in charge of like taking care of Jesus' mom, and so he couldn't really be reckless or become a martyr because he had responsibilities and a job. He had Jesus' mother Mary to take care of. So John was the only one who made it into old age among the group that was gathered there. And so John, we see, is the only one whose faith grew with him throughout the years and, and, and deepened and evolved, and he saw a lot of things he changed as a result of it, grew closer to God. And in the rest of his writing, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, which all combined are only a handful of chapters in the book of Revelation, he switches from using this word overcome just once to the rest of his writings later on in life 22 times. Like Phil Knight, Nike grew on him. (laughs) Overcome grew on him. John saw some things. He saw hurt. And he saw pain. According to, the, according to legend, what happened is that they, they tried to kill him. The Romans tried to kill him, and they, and they dipped him in this hot, boiling oil in order to just burn him to death. But he didn't die, like, miraculously. He stayed alive. And so they did the only thing they knew what to do is they exiled him. They sent him to this island and said, at least you'll be gone. And it was on that island that he wrote our book of Revelation. Overcome grew on him because the more he lived and the more he prayed and the more he saw the pain and suffering all around him, the more he knew he needed a Lord who would, Nike, who would overcome, who would eventually have victory. Now, I'm going to put my shoe on while I explain the next part. He goes, peace is offered, pain is promised. Keep in mind, while Jesus says this, with a tear in his eye, I believe, I have overcome the world. You will have trouble. Peace is offered. Judas is actively betraying him at that moment. He had just previously said to his disciples, y'all are going to leave me. You're going to run away. You're going to abandon me. You're going to flee. And still, in that moment, he can offer peace to his disciples, but pain is promised. I love what one person told me, that Christians, Jesus' followers, it's not like we're not going to have problems. Following Jesus is a great way to have fewer problems because when we start to follow the way of Jesus, we start to avoid some of the self-inflicted wounds of sin. We'll have fewer problems, but it's not like we won't have problems. Peace is offered. Pain is promised. This is what the pain looks like. He, he explained it a little bit earlier in the passage, so let's revisit a little a little upwards, John 16, verse 20, where Jesus said, and he's explaining this whole process. He goes, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman gives birth to a child and has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets about the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. This is space that I am nervous about dipping into. So it's Bible, so we're going to talk about it a little, but I fully recognize, right, as being one of the people in the room who did not experience this. Shocking to hear, I know. Uh, but, I, but I have been in the room, right? And I, uh, and I talk to people, like for a living. I talk a lot of people. And so I'm just going to relay some of the experiences. Like uh, I was in the room a couple of times, right, for the birth of my kids, and we did the epidural thing, and so it was just, we figured, you know, there's enough pain in this world. We're just going to avoid a little bit for us and say that. But some others of you, some others of you, you decided to, like, do the thing, right? 
Like, wh- whatever the reason, you know, maybe it was, like, to help it closer to the process, closer to God's rather closer to your child. Like, you decided to, like, go for it. And it's, like, a holy thing. I'm guessing for, like, the first 30 seconds. And then it just gets, like, super real, like, like going for it, right? Um, true story, my brother is, uh, you know, his... He's going through it with his with his lovely bride, and she's in labor, and uh, and they're having uh, the birth. I don't I don't know which which kid it was, but I do remember that it took a little while, and he got hungry. My brother got hungry. God bless him. Uh, <laughs> and so there's no like food or drink like allowed in the room, and so he had to, he had to like step out. He steps out. He crams one of those like little Debbie Swiss cake rolls. You guys know what I'm talking about. Crams one in his mouth, you know, and he's like, and he's like, I better get in there, you know. And he goes back in, and his lovely bride, who has been able to enjoy nothing except ice chips, like this whole time, what are you eating? And he's like, Swiss cake roll. <laughs> the dude has not been able to eat a Swiss cake roll since. Like he's just not allowed, right? He's just not. I mean, there's the anguish, right? The pain, like involved. You know, but, but he would say, like, after that, after that moment. And those of you who have experienced it or walked with people who have experienced that, the pain turned into the joy of holding that precious baby. It's a holy moment. The grief is transformed into joy. I can think of no, like, better analogy or story of the Christian faith than transforming the grief and the pain into joy. And you just wonder if God can do that with that kind of grief and that kind of pain. What, what can he do with mine? With my grief and with my pain. Some of you are in that valley, in that season of difficulty. And maybe you have been left out. Maybe you have been left alone. Maybe you've been overlooked. And it's lonely in the valley. It's lonely in the pain. Some of you have ventured out and tried to start something new. And failed. And it got in your head. And it made you not want to risk anymore. And just because you have failed, maybe you fail a couple of times, like you translate that now into, I didn't fail, I am a failure. And it weighs heavily. Sometimes it might even bring along a financial thing. And some of you are like, that's, the stress is all around me. Like, I just, I'm not making it work. I'm not succeeding. I'm just arguing with my spouse, with my like, partner in life. I just can't make this work. It consumes all of my thoughts. It touches every part of my life. It, it's the struggle, the pain is so present, is so real. And for some of you, it's medical. You guys know I'm, I got an upgrade in my T-shirt today. It's, uh, can't read it. It says, fearfully and wonderfully made. A quote from Psalm 139. Part of the psalm that we heard earlier on in worship. We reflect that God made our bodies fearfully and wonderfully. And God made Jack's body fearfully and wonderfully made. For those of you maybe our guests visiting, watching online, Jack is a three-year-old in our community who was born with a rare uh, genetic disorder called hemimegalocephaly. It's a rare condition where the two hemispheres of the brain, um, one grows, the left side grows larger than the other one, and it causes these seizures that keep on 
keeping on injects being given medication and and it has this diminishing return and it's just not helping anymore so on Thursday, he's going to go in for a significant brain surgery. This Thursday, three years old, they're going to separate the two hemispheres of his brain permanently. He's going to lose function, and he's going to gain it back because our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God made our bodies and our brains in such a way that even with this separation, the other side will kick in and through physical therapy, intense, and over a period of time, we pray and we trust, we believe God, that he's going he's gonna to restore these faculties and these, and these functionings to Jack's brain and to Jack's body. And I, I, mention, this, I mention this because a lot of us are in the, in the valley. You know, and you, you don't have to know Jack to have your heart broken for Jack. And so we've we got a value around here that we experience God daily, and so we're going we're gonna to experience God in prayer, like again and again and again. I understand we don't all know Jack. We're going to pray for Jack around the clock. There's a website that we've got set up, encounterchurch.org slash jack. Website slash jack. Just a bunch of ways you can hear the story, get involved. Sign up for a prayer slot, please, on behalf of the family. Lift him up. We're in the, we're in the valley. and We're, we're in, the, in the pain. It's tempting in the valley it's tempting in the pain to run away. When God doesn't act like we want him to act, like we think that he should act, it's tempting to just give up. That's what, that's what my electrician friend did. You know, God, like, I gave it a shot. You know, life is hard. I guess it's just not for me. You know, it, he walks away. If we walk away in that moment, in this moment, we don't get to hear the redemptive story that God is telling. For some reason, God has pain in this world. Peace is offered. Pain is promised universally to all of us. If we walk away right now, we don't get to see like whatever it is, the, the purpose that God has for us in that moment. And because he put it in, he does have a purpose. What is the purpose to all the pain? I think that the pain, that the trouble that we have, the trouble proves your faith. And I want to unpack that. I want to explain that a little bit by, by going to a different passage. Uh, Peter. Peter was in the room with Jesus uh, on Monday, Thursday, by the way. Um, but by the way, Jesus shares these words. You may have trouble, but I have overcome. I have Nike'd. Jesus shares these words on Monday, Thursday in the upper room. And I think there's something sincerely poetic about the fact that Jack is having his surgery on Monday, Thursday in those time that day when Jesus said, I have overcome. I recognize your trouble, but I have overcome. But Peter, we go to Peter. Peter was in the room, and then Peter experience some life on the other side. And so he wants to write this open letter to a bunch of people who know a thing or two about pain. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, proven genuineness of your faith, greater worth than gold, which perishes, even refined by fire, may result in your faith results... In praise, glory, honor, when Jesus Christ is revealed, the proven genuineness of your faith. And like, listen to some of the stuff that, that, 
that Peter saw and his listeners and the people he's writing to experienced. This Roman historian, his name is Tacitus, he would just write some of these accounts down. Like he didn't have a dog in a fight. Like he's not a Christian. He's not, he's just, he's just writing down what happened. He goes, what I noticed, what I saw is that these Romans were watching as the Christian movement just spread like wildfire all around us. So they're like, we got to do something. It's, it's weird. We don't understand it. And so we're going to like clamp down on it. We're going to persecute it. And so Tacitus, he writes on the stories, he goes, I watched as the Romans would like put these animal skins on Christians and just set the wild beasts on them and say like, go get them, you know, and for sport, for fun, like this stuff would happen. Dipping like Christians in wax and letting them on fire and just for entertainment purposes and Tacitus, he writes these things down, just horrible, horrible things that took place. And Peter is writing into this. He goes, I know you guys know a thing or two about pain. Because what that does is it proves the genuineness of your faith. Because if you can hold on in this moment, if you can hold on when things really get difficult, it shows something about the faith that you have, that it's genuine. Jesus told this story about like scattering some, some seed, like the gospel goes out and and some of it falls on the rocky soil, and the seed just sprouts right up like that, super quick. You know, and the sun comes out, it scorches. There's no, there's no root system there. There's, there's nothing that it grows down deep into. It's not, a, it's not a genuine faith. It's the opposite of that. It's a counterfeit faith. And like the question sometimes is before us is like, hey, listen, in 21st century West Michigan culture, do we have a genuine faith or a counterfeit faith? And how easy it is to be like, I don't know. You know, sometimes we go into the counterfeit faith because it's like, I don't, being a Christian it like, isn't super hard. We go to a church, we've got, like a, we've got a ready-made community ready to welcome us in, especially if we're lonely or isolated. We've got a contact list, you know. You need a job, like maybe I can know somebody. Like it's, sometimes it's easy to follow Jesus. And so it's easy to, to follow Jesus for the blessing, not the person. And that's a counterfeit faith, not a, not a, not a genuine faith. The counterfeit faith says, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, just as long as my migraines go away. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, as long as I get the job, as long as I get into the preferred graduate school that I want to get into. It's counter, counterfeit faith. But a genuine faith says this. A genuine faith says a faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. Uh, trouble proves faith. Trouble prepares you for something else. It prepares you for your purpose. You want to get better at faith? You want to get stronger? You get stronger at faith. You get better at faith. Like You get stronger, you get better at anything else. You go to the gym. You get stronger. Not by like sitting on the machine, like flipping through Instagram, you know, finding your next song, sending out a couple texts. Those are the moments that you get stronger. Resistance makes you stronger. Pain makes you stronger. And I think we've got to ask ourselves the genuine question, could it be that God's preparation for this next season, could it be God's preparation comes packaged as pain? Earlier on in worship, we heard about Moses. <laughs> I just imagine coming next to Moses and saying, like, man, it's hard. You know? Your mom didn't, your mom wanted you. It would, you happen to have been born in a time when it was illegal to be born. And so in order to give you a chance, she had to give you up. It floats you down a river like this guy's life isn't easy. He's raised in the, 
He's raised in Pharaoh's house as an outsider. He's, on the, he's a fugitive, right? He's looking back in his past and going, I have some uh, criminal background that's going on. I think I'm just going to lay low and hiding in the wilderness. And God's like, no, no, no. I'm using that pain for a purpose. Come on, we've got a job to do. You're going to save my people. Lead them on out. Joseph, another story in the Bible. Pain has a purpose. His brothers throw him in the well. His brothers sell him off to some people heading towards Egypt. He's thrown in prison unfairly for years go by. But it's like through those forming, shaping experiences, God takes and gives him a purpose, in this case, to literally bless the whole world, to feed the entire world, Joseph. David is hanging out, the runt little kid of all his brothers, the smallest one, and he's, he's practicing slingshot against trees, and then a bear comes along, and he goes, you know, I'm really, I'm really pretty good at this. His isolation and his loneliness turned into the tool that helped him slay the giant. Like, God knew what he was doing. His pain was given for a purpose. Guys, God is doing something with your loneliness, like he's connecting with you in that. He's, he's strengthening something inside of you. He's strengthening this, this intimacy with God or this dependency with God. You've got this pain of a betrayal in your past. And you think God can do nothing with that. And God's like, watch this. I'm stretching you. I'm strengthening you. I'm growing your capacity to love and to forgive, even especially people who hurt you. I'm doing something inside of you. He's doing it again today. I think about my electrician friend. And uh, he kept showing up, which I love. And he kept showing up to like get the work. <laughs> but he kept like emotionally showing up and asking questions. You know, making his little confessions every time he opens up the panel. And he is a friend. Uh, he moved away. We lost touch a little bit. New electrician was assigned. He comes and he goes, I met someone. And she's a Jesus follower too. Do you think like, do you do weddings? Do you, would you marry us? We got to know each other throughout that process. And it was like a year after that ended before like the wedding kind of came through. And I, I didn't know like kind of where he was. I knew like God was doing something like in his life. And we're uh, we're standing there. We're ready to walk down. So like he does like the seating of the grandparents and parents. He comes back, and then we're both like standing shoulder to shoulder. It's this holy moment for guys, right? Um, and uh, and the song like changes. So there's like a like a quiet. And I look over, you know, and I'm just about to say my line that I always say. I go like, "You ready? You ready?" And before I do, he goes, "Oh, hey, I know it's been a while. Um, my wife and I, you know, my girl fiance, uh, we found a church." Yeah, it's wild. And we're, we're growing. We're being challenged like every single weekend. I've grown so much, I can't believe it. And he goes, I'm so glad I didn't give up. And I didn't have to ask if he was ready. Don't give up. Jesus never promised that life would be easy going to be hard. Peace is offered. Pain is promised. Don't give up. If you give up, you won't get to hear the redemptive story that Jesus is telling. If you give up, you won't get to experience the peace, the power, 
and the purpose that Jesus has in store for you. He didn't come to deliver you and I from a difficult life. He came to deliver us from sin and from death. Do not give up. But you just stand up. Let's pray together. Jesus, you never gave up on us. That story in the upper room that we just heard about, when the tear in your eye, you prayed, you declared that you have overcome, you have had victory, you have had Nike over this world. God, the people in that room would betray you and we would betray you and we would walk away and we would say hurtful things about you and to you and the way that we treat you. But you did not give up on us. You thought about us on Friday when you died. And you loved us to death and back again to new life. What a redemption story that you're telling. God, we wonder how you'll turn today's grief into joy. Jesus, what a beautiful, wonderful, powerful name it is. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.